0: Mika Boynton is a specialist landscape and aerial photographer from Bright in the Alpine Valleys of North East Victoria. She and her partner, Matt Palmer, opened their Alpine Light Photographic Art Gallery in her hometown in December 21. Mika was the first Australian and first female to win the prestigious Epson International Pano Awards in 2019, and that same year she was also named Victorian Landscape Photographer of the Year. Mika is a Grand Master with the Australian Photographic Society and last year received her Masters with Distinction from the New Zealand Institute of Professional Photography. She was also named 2021 NZIPP International Photographer of the Year and 2022 NZIPP Australian Landscape Photographer of the Year. She's also a winner of the Meta de la Fédération Internationale de l'Art Photographique Distinction with FIAP, the International Federation of Art Photography. We talk about her experiences in aerial photography, the opening of her gallery with her partner, and her journey to that point via the Kimberley, along with a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Nika. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going?
1: I'm very well. Thank you, Grant. Thank you very much for inviting me on.
0: Absolute pleasure. You've been on my list for a little while, and uh, you know, finally uh, managed to track you down and, uh, and and get you to say yes, which is very nice. I really appreciate it, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me. Why don't we start out a little bit with who you are, where you are, and where you are in your landscape photography journey?
1: Okay. Um. So I live in Bright in northeast Victoria, and I kind of grew up here. We moved here when I was eight and then I went to boarding school when I was 15. So the most important years of your life, I reckon, when you're going to primary school and high school, early high school, that's I I grew up here. So essentially I've come back home, which is awesome. Um, But in the meantime, I've travelled a lot, been lots of places. Um, I I guess the photography bit, if you want to know about that, I started... Um, because I uh, moved to the Kimberley region of Western Australia, I had um, I'd um, I'd been a teacher for four and a half years and decided that I needed a little bit of something different, and so I decided to teach uh, grade five and six up in the Kimberley, up in a little town at the end of a long road called Wyndham. Wow! Yeah. And I arrived in the wet season, and the colours were just like nothing I'd ever seen before. And all I wanted to do, this is how it started, was I just wanted to show my family and friends back home how stunning the Kim was. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that year, I inflicted a CD of all my images on everyone that I was close to. (laughs) And it was just with a little point-and-shoot camera, like it was nothing good. It was pretty bad. But, um, you know, it was just a really inspiring place and I just found myself throughout that year spending more and more time out on the mud flats looking for boab trees, trying to be somewhere where the light was happening, um, and that's what really got me into it. Um, but yeah, now I've come back. So I spent almost 10 years in the Kimberley, now I've come back to Bright, and my partner Matt Palmer and I have opened a gallery.
0: Fantastic, fantastic, very different uh landscape though, Bright from uh the Kimberley. Kimberley, lots of those sort of the, the red earth and uh, ochre sort of colours in in the land and in the landscape. Uh, yeah. Very vibrant greens, blues and aquas. And I've, I've been to Broome myself and uh, I remember flying in there, just the, the, the colours blew me away looking out the, the, the plane window.
1: Yeah, um, I think I was really lucky to live in Wyndham, which is the East Kimberley and then move across to the West Kimberley. So I lived in Derby for two and a half years and then I lived in Broome for five years. And I think... That gave me a real, it's so funny, actually. I'll sidetrack a little bit. If you set up a market stall in Melbourne and tried to sell photos of Sydney, people would be like, what are you on about? But in the Kimberley, you can have a stall in Broome and sell photos of Kununurra, which is the same distance, and it's still the Kimberley. Like that's how vast the Kimberley is. It is just gigantic. Um, So, yeah, you know, you do get caught up a little bit in talking about the Kimberley as a, you know, homogenous kind of place, but it's not. It's, you know, it, there's, there's a particularly coastal versus inland. And right. I think the, the beautiful thing about learning photography there was that there's such a huge Aboriginal presence in the Kimberley and it just makes you so aware of the spirituality of places. And that's one thing that I'm just forever grateful for is that when I go anywhere, my first thought is, does this have a feeling? Does this have like something that's more than just what I'm seeing? Am I feeling something? And um, I'm forever grateful to the Kimberley for that because I don't think it would have happened anywhere else, that kind of, you know, desire to connect with country in that way. Uh, But because I I worked, so after the year teaching, um, it was 14 Indigenous kids, grade five and six, I then uh, re-qualified as a librarian and I was the specialist librarian for the Kimberley Land Council, mm-hmm. and so I got, you know, I, I had some amazing opportunities to go out bush with people and just see the way that they viewed the land, and it, it, it stuck with me forever. And coming back here to Bright, which you know is the, uh, literally the other side of the country, like as far from the Kimberley yeah, as you can, can go, be pretty
0: much. much. Away from the Kimberley than uh, than Bright.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, apart from Tassie, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it, the, there's a mountain here that I have always loved. It's called Mount Buffalo.
0: Yeah.
1: And I get the same sense of presence from Mount Buffalo that I did in special places in the Kimberley. And I, I've been doing a little bit of research recently about the people who lived at Mount Buffalo. Um, and it, it it has been a place of ceremony and the meeting of people for... You know, tens of thousands of years, and I just think there are places in the world that I'm getting a little bit deep too early, aren't I? But there no, are no, places that you can go that you just you just feel like it's special. It's more than just what you're seeing. There's there's more
0: if yeah, that makes yeah. any sense. No, it ma- it makes a lot of sense, and I think a lot of people, uh, particularly you know, European uh, or people of European background, don't really necessarily understand that just about every rocky outcrop or mountain or even even some of the, the minor hills, uh, I know just up the road from me, there's a very small grove of trees which, you know, on first glance wouldn't have any significance to anyone driving past. It's in literally in the middle of uh, sort of grassy parkland, but it's special to the Aboriginal people of the, the local area because of, whatever the spiritual meaning for that place is and you know each of these places i think has a has its own feeling and it it it, as you say it, it has a a spirituality uh in amongst it
1: yeah and i think when you're aware of that like when you go and photograph and you have that awareness and it's just part of you know the the interaction that you have with nature there's a respect there and there's an openness there that I think results in a much more positive experience. And, you know, there there are actually places I've been that I've felt threatened by. There was a boab tree. Uh, We, in the wet season, my good friend, Tanya Malkin and I, we did a wet season uh, photo trip. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was 40-plus degrees every day. The humidity was disgusting from, like, first thing getting up in the morning you were already sweating. Yeah. We, we were inundated by mosquitoes. Like, we had to put Bushman's all the deet all over everything and at one point in time I was sweating on my face and I wiped my face and uh, I got it in my mouth It was oh it's poison it's totally poison <laughs> but it's the only way to keep the, the mozzies away but anyway we 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 were just driving along and looking because there's there was no one there like it was just us so we were just driving slowly along the highway and just looking for you know, spots where we might set up and take some photos because the, the sky is amazing. You know, the clouds are just, whenever there's storm clouds up there, you just, oh, it's just fantastic. And the, the grass is just fluorescent green. It's just amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyway,
1: um, we, we saw a place where there was some pools of water and we were like, awesome, we might be able to get some reflections. There was a big boab tree. Anyway, we kind of were moving along, staying out of each other's shots and then... We noticed this big boab tree and it had almost like an eye on it and I just got the heebie-jeebies.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Really, yeah. just really strongly. And I said, I avoided it and then um, Tanya caught up with me and, and I was like, I really don't feel safe with that boab tree. She's <laughs> like, no, I feel it too. She's wow. like, I don't think we should be here. I'm like, okay, let's go. And that's, it was that strong. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you know, like it it's it's not all touchy-feely positive stuff. You can also um but even nature, like I was out photographing a, a huge lightning storm in Broome once. Mm. And there was lightning going off in three directions, and I was I was awesome. Like it was the air was tingly. It was so intense. And there was, you know, I I was setting up I was setting up in so the 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 beaches near Broome tend to have really shallow, um, gradual descent into the ocean. So yeah. when yeah. there's high tide and then it goes out, you just have these reflections forever, and yeah. you feel like you're walking in the in the sky, like it's that amazing. Anyway, this the, I went down to photograph the, this lightning, and I I set up in the water, um, so that I could get the reflections when the 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 tide was all you know out. And my dog, Banjo, was getting really upset at me. He was banging the back of my legs like, we shouldn't be here, let's go. And I was like, we're fine, we're fine, we're safe. Then the wind changed and I was like, okay, I don't feel safe now. So I packed up and went. And then it wasn't that long afterwards that there was that guy walking the ridge of Kings Canyon and he got zapped by lightning and he passed. You know what? I was really in the danger zone, genuinely. And my dog knew it. I did not. But you know, lightning can travel something like twenty kilometers or something like that. Like if you can see it and
0: that's it, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So um so yeah, sometimes nature tells you things aren't safe too. Like when the wind changed, I was like, Okay, I've got to go here. I'm I'm I don't feel don't feel good about this.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You started photography up in uh, the Kimberley and send, sending photos home, and that's kind of why you got started. Why? Why keep doing it? What What's in it for you, and what What do you get out of it?
1: Well, I think like a lot of landscape photographers, it's um, it's the experience of going out with a camera. I I, I always take my tripod because I find that it slows me down. Yep, it's that. Ability to switch your head off from all of the busyness that we all experience most of the time and just be, just be present, to listen to what's happening in nature, to experience what's happening, um, to take in what's on offer. And I just, I don't get that any other way. Um when I discovered photography, because it was kind of a discovery, I guess, for me, I'd loved art all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was actually okay at it, but I never was gonna be a professional artist. I was, you know, like a painting would take me eight hours if I worked solidly, you know, that I was I was never gonna yeah. Um but with photography, it was all the same stuff that I loved, but it was much more immediate and and you know, like uh, yeah, it just had that specialness about it that you could go out in nature and communicate with nature, and I know like already this interview, I feel a bit embarrassed because some people are just oh, gonna right. sit there and go like you are nuts, you're bonkers, like you're you know you're a little bit maybe sideways, I don't know, but I just feel like sometimes when you go out in particularly, I love photographing by myself, um except for with Matt
0: yep. one
1: notable exception but it's just that ability to block out everything else and just just take it all in
0: yeah just concentrate on the one thing yeah
1: and just notice and I think um you know for me it's an outward thing like I it my brain turns off but I actually think out right rather than it being a tunnel vision thing like I I I just I'm hyper aware of the smells the sounds the the light, the colors, you know, like I, it's just that immersive experience, and that's why I keep doing it because oh,
0: that's fantastic
1: yeah and and um yeah we're yeah anyway, yes that's that's it, <laughs> so in
0: terms of what you're chasing, what would that be how would you describe what you're you're chasing is it always that feeling or is it something more in terms of turning it from the the experiential side of it you know being out in the field and, and enjoying that time in nature to turning that into something creative and something artistic
1: that's a really good question I think. I, it, yeah it's obviously you could just go out and bushwalk and be in nature and and that seems to tick yeah, the boxes of what i'm just talking plenty about plenty
0: but people do just that
1: yeah <laughs> but i think for me it is the artistic challenge of capturing what i'm seeing and experiencing and sharing that with others mm. so I don't really enjoy processing, to be perfectly honest. I find it a bit tedious. It's a job for me. Um, But once that's achieved and I'm looking at a photo that is what I want to communicate to represent what my experience was, then I get excited again. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, I've got... I've got lots and lots of photographs on my hard drives from shoots that I've never processed because the processing part is such a drag for me. But, um, you know, I, photos don't go off. They don't expire. I, I used oh, to I think do. they did. And I, I once actually asked on Instagram, does it matter to you whether a photo was taken last week, today or five years ago if I've never posted it before. And I was expecting people to say, yeah, you know, like we kind of want to experience what you're doing at the moment. You know, that was my impression that everyone wanted that instantaneous like this is what is going on right now. And everybody resoundingly resoundingly said, no, they don't care whether it was taken, you know, today or, Yeah. yeah, and I was so surprised. I, and it just made me it gave me permission i guess to spend more time on the photos cuz when i was living in the kimberley i took lots of photos but i never had time to process cuz i was working yeah. full time so i've got i've got years of photos on my hard drives that i haven't had time to process
0: cool i'm i'm very much the same in in terms of of doing that though i'm i'm going to bring some of the the questions that i sometimes leave to later a, a bit forward now. Um, is that something when you have sort of finished the shoot and you get home, are you straight in to take a look at it or do you just sort of back it up, make sure it's secured and then leave it and not worry too much about it and, you know, go and do something else with your with your tar? Um,
1: Because I, and I know how it happened, it's because, it's because when I lived in the Kimberley, I was actually... Essentially, working seven days a week. Mm, mm.
0: Um,
1: I was uh, I w- I was managing the library services for TAFE. So this was when I was in Broome. That was when I became like a proper photographer. Right. Um. So I was I was managing the library services for TAFE, and I was going out and taking photos whenever I could. But I also had a market stall every Saturday in Broome that was very busy. So I was needing to uh, pro- um actually produce prints and. Uh, order things. So, I had like acrylic blocks and stuff like that. So, I was always ordering, packaging, repackaging, um, you know, making bookmarks, all that kind of stuff in my evenings. And so, I was very busy all the time. And when I could, I would take chunks of time off from work. I had a very understanding boss and I'd, you know, I'd take two weeks off at a time. I'd put all my leave together, take two weeks off and go somewhere but what that meant was when i came back all my life stuff continued you know and and i just never had time to process so as a consequence even now i, I yes i do i do exactly what the latter was i i come and i put the photos on my hard drive and back it up so that i've got them but then i've got so many photos so it's like well today i feel like processing what i did yesterday but um okay. you know it, that that tomorrow I might process my photos from Morocco and the next day I might process some photos from from the lightning storm in the Kimberley or the next time I might process photos from Patagonia and I've got so Iceland oh my god I haven't even scratched the surface of the photos that I took in Iceland in 2018 yeah how about you do you
0: no, I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I'm I'm into it soon as soon as I can get it onto a computer. It's it's really interesting. When I go overseas, for example, I don't carry a laptop around with me. Um I do have an iPad that I occasionally flick some of them up so that I can see them in a in a larger format than just on the phone or on the on the back of the camera. Um but yeah, I'm just desperately hoping the uh the, the cards survive the, the trip home. Because uh, usually there's uh, half a dozen cards. So uh, I came back from the UK in July after uh, eight weeks over there, and you know, I think I had about a, a card a week.
1: <laughs> no, I'm the same actually. I I don't um I don't process at all when I'm yeah. On and a, so when I got
0: chip. home, it was like oh, I've got to get into these now and, and yeah, them look, you know, see see what. See what they really look like uh, on a on a large screen. But even if I if I go out for a sunrise shoot here in Sydney, um, that late later that morning, I'll be sitting at the computer wow. scrolling so, through, checking them out. Okay, the yeah, that, that, that's that's the one I knew. I the, the one that I knew I nailed. When wow. I was, yeah. I, so yeah, Matt
1: yeah. <laughs> Matt
0: has
1: Matt has taught me a lot about myself. I'll just can I just tell you who matt is so matt palmer is my partner he's um i met him during covid well we had actually had met each other um previously but we hadn't had a chance to talk to each other and then during covid we, we we ended up in an 11 hour zoom chat and wow. um, we just knew that that was it and he came to Bright from Taz in the middle of COVID, um, arrived and it was like, well, this is going to really work or otherwise it's going to be an absolute disaster because we, we had to <laughs> quarantine in my house. Anyway, um, he's, he's an absolute legend. He was the Australian Photographer of the Year in 2018. Yep. He's an amazing landscape photographer and I never thought that I could Be with another landscape photographer because I'm very competitive. But because he sees the world so differently to me, we can be in the same place and come home, swap cameras, and be amazed at the photographs that each other have taken. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we just see differently. And it's just, it's a joy to photograph together because we both like our own space. We don't hassle each other, we barely even talk. And it's just beautiful to share that. And I just feel so lucky. But anyway, I'm sidetracking a little bit. But the thing is, is Matt is just like you. He comes home.
0: Gotta be into it.
1: Cards in. He's processing already. He's looking, like going through his Lightroom, he's deleting his... and, and, And I haven't even you know like i'm catching up on emails cuz like my priority is i got to make sure that you know things are sorted cuz i've been away or whatever and and i'll look over there and he's already processing and i'm just like whoa <laughs> that's amazing but it's because his background is completely different to mine he he did music photography and sport photography um he well, you had to turn it Yes up. he had to turn yeah. it around he had to get it them to them by the next day mm. So it, that's, I think our, the way that we come into photography has a huge impact on how we... Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah.
0: How, you, how you've learnt, not just the process, but, you know, how you've learnt to work in the fields. Yeah. Um, whether that's self-teaching, formal teaching or, or, or not, you know, the one thing that I've learned from talking to quite a few photographers here on the podcast is that, you know, everyone has their own approach and they're in different places in their journey as well and that always you, you can see how they develop over time and see how they change their habits or change what they do, change their workflows and so forth. And I think the the fact, and this this is why I love doing the podcast, is just the fact that everybody has a different little tale to tell about how they yeah. where they are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the good thing of being with someone like Matt is because he pro- he gets through his photos so quickly that he's always on the on the you know ready for the next shoot. Yep. Whereas for me, I took pretty much the whole of twenty eighteen off when I finished in the Kimberley and moved here, and I just took photos all year. I travelled and I took lot. Oh, and and honestly, if I didn't take another photo for the next twelve months, I'd still be processing. <laughs> So I've got plenty in the bag, you know what I mean. Like I just, I, I, there's no push for me to go and take new photos, um, but it's nice to have. It. Like I'm very aware that Matt needs new photos a lot more regularly than me because he's processed all his old stuff. So um, that's quite nice.
0: I, I definitely haven't processed all because I, uh, apart from you know the the out of focus or the you know. The, the ones where I've bumped the tripod and I've got unintentional cam- camera movement. <laughs> you know, a, aside from those, I don't delete anything, so everything is, is still there. I just keep buying more hard disk space.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> becomes expensive. But uh, I, I've still got stuff dating back to 2014, raw files from, you know, 2014,
1: 2013, and, yeah.
0: and so forth that I, I still go back and take a look at now and then. They're... Yeah, I I don't think the quality is as good as it is now because I've had years to sort of work on it and and change it, but there's still things now that I would process differently to how I would process back then.
1: Well, that is that, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I I think going back into your archive and doing that is is a really good exercise, not only in showing you how far you've come from where you were years ago to, to where you are now, but also in adapting some of those older images into something that could be something completely new because your your techniques around processing have changed or improved yeah
1: absolutely absolutely I think the one limiting factor there though is your equipment so oh, definitely you know like definitely. a lot of people come into the gallery and um, you know they'll ask about cameras and I think like we were talking a little bit earlier i think the most difficult thing when you're starting out with photography is getting your head around the settings because once you don't have to think about the settings then you can enjoy all the the wonderful things about being a landscape photographer but until you can get your head around the settings it, it that that is the difficult part um but i think when when you're starting out it's better to have a simpler camera Oh, definitely. But the the problem is, is now if I go back to the photos that I took in the beginning, the compositions are still great, like, I actually did have an eye for composition, mm. but the quality of the files is just abominable. You put yes. it in Photoshop, you hit, you know, auto curves and it just falls apart. Like yes. <laughs> you can really see the difference, you know, the the, the, the the cameras that I use today, the Nikon D810 and the Z7, you know, are 36 and 45 megapixels and yes. the, the little D60 that I had is just. And this
0: thing, once once you get used to using those higher megapixel cameras and so forth, it's very- very difficult to look at images on on you know lesser sensors because yeah
1: yeah because uh, i'm
0: used used to this crystal clear quality
1: that's right that's right and and if you just push it a little bit often you'll get banding and you know all that kind of stuff that you just don't have to even think about with the higher resolution images because there's more you know so many more pixels to to massage so um not that i do heaps of manipulation to my photos but you know you see, certainly particularly when I first started out there were a lot of underexposed shots and a lot of you know yeah that kind of stuff yeah,
0: yeah I get what you mean so you, you mentioned that you've always sort of had that eye for composition where did you start to be conscious of it being something more creative than just saying okay well I'm lining up this nice scene that's a that's a pretty scene and I'll I'll make sure I include that that hill or mountain or, you know, all of the branches of the tree, I'm not cut, cutting the top of the tree off or the bottom of the tree or whatever, you know, and you you stopped thinking about some of those things and you started thinking, okay, well, how do I make this look a little bit unique and a little bit different?
1: I think firstly I want to say I think I was really lucky with the art teachers that I had because they taught me art theory and art history and um, I always was interested in other people's art Mm -hmm. and i think you know when you have amazing teachers the information sticks and so you know i've always had that sensitivity so you know right from the beginning moving to the kimberley i was trying to take photos that was that were making the most of having a camera so you know distortion i had a 10 to 20 sigma um uh lens, I think year two. So my I the I started with a little Kodak Easy Share, and then my okay. parents bought me a D60 for my for my 30th birthday and then I got the 10 to 20 sigma and I loved how it distorted everything I loved how you know you could make things look different yeah and yeah. even my processing in the beginning like I loved tonal contrast because it looked different now I look back at those photos and I just cry <laughs> oh my god we all cringe at our think, early
0: work It's it's part of part of the, the the learning curve
1: it is part of the learning curve but I think the good thing is now I understand what I love about photography and that is that I love to showcase nature. So I'm never really trying to, I'm not consciously trying to put a Mika Boynton stamp on anything.
0: Sure. sure. I'm
1: just hopeful and, um, hoping that nature will provide something special that I can then capture and, and share. And, um, and that's not just saying it that's legit like if if i if it's a really rotten day and the weather's crap and um you know and and i know that i'd have to do a lot of work to make it look any good mm. i'd prefer not to take the photos because then it becomes more about the artistic side of things rather than the nature side of things and for me it's the nature side of things that's more important yeah right. and and it's not i my favourite photographers are actually, apart from Matt, he is my favourite photographer, <laughs> but my favourite photographers are actually photographers who are much more on the artistic side of things. So okay. it's not that I don't appreciate that. It's just for me it's honouring the experience that I had because that's the most important thing for me is the experience. Yeah. Um, the, the photos are the secondary out, output. Having said that, if I couldn't share my work, I think I wouldn't be as excited about photography because I do love sharing my work and you know, I know in a lot of your podcasts you talk a fair bit about social media and the one positive thing for me is that you know there's there's some I'd say mostly older um people who don't get to the opportunity to go out and explore nature very much and Absolutely. Through social media they you know that I often get comments about how much joy seeing these places brings to them mm. and and I love the fact that i'm not I'm not creating something for them, I'm capturing something that I'm sharing with them
0: yeah i'd I'd love it when you get a comment uh say from somebody that lived in a place or near a place that you've you've shot and they you know they you've brought back a memory for them and they've yep. they've yep. commented about that fact and for me I I just love it when when people go oh that that really triggered a memory for me you know which is I I think and for me that's that's really what photography is all about it's about triggering emotions in people and you know some of them might be ah, revulsion don't want to see that you know all the way to oh, I'm absolutely in love with it. I've got to go and buy a print from Grant or Mika. Or- yeah, I'm
1: sure you get more of the latter than the former. But yeah, totally. Like we had um, people come into the gallery yesterday. Uh, two ladies, and they were really interested in my aerials. Mm. And they admitted that they're not really into photography. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they loved the aerials because of the artist the the artistry of it, and yeah. the it, it was. Like seeing, mostly
0: more an abstract sort of view that most people don't get.
1: Yeah, and that's one reason I love photographing abstract aerials is because Mm. the landscape photography. I actually view view them completely differently. The process is so different that 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 like the experience of photographing them is so totally different that the, that feeds through to the processing and the output and with abstract aerials it is about the artistic nature of, of things and I don't mind pushing the boundaries a lot further to make something beautiful and artistic because I feel like that's what is what I'm bringing to it um, yeah. and and when i'm shooting aerials it's so noisy it's so busy there's wind in your face there's hair in your mouth it's all you know hectic it's not the same experience as going out in nature and being open to the spirituality of it. It's a completely different experience. And therefore, I don't feel I'm that.
0: concentrate on keeping the uh, the drone in the air.
1: Oh, just... I don't use a drone.
0: Oh no, okay. No, no,
1: all my aerials are with planes and helicopters. Oh,
0: fantastic. Okay. So
1: um the experience of it That's is just all my kind
0: of aerial then. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't own a drone at
1: all. I've never used a drone. I've never tried. Oh, nor have I. No, no. N- n- no interest. Well, it's it's not that I have zero interest. It's more that um, I've had some negative experiences being in places when I've heard the sound of yeah, a I drone. Don't, I
0: don't want to be that person. Either. And I.
1: <laughs> but flying, and, and most of my aerials are taken in places where there's no one around, like no one is going to be bothered by the sound of a helicopter where I'm shooting. So, you know, I'm not inflicting that on anybody else. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the these ladies, I'll go back to the story, these ladies came in and, and they were astounded at what they were seeing in nature and, you know, they could see figures and trees and all the rest of it. And and that's what I love. That's what I really love. And And I think we were talking and they were saying, the reason they love art paintings more is because they respond more emotionally to those paintings yeah and they were getting an emotional response to these aerials and and i just thought that's so cool you know that that's it. that's what every artist regardless of your medium is trying to do i reckon he's trying to elicit an emotional response from people yeah,
0: absolutely um, so talk to me a bit about the aerials then as we're on the topic. Um, it's a little bit different, as you said, to you know getting the drone out and sticking that up in the air. So I'd imagine that requires a fair amount of planning and a fair amount of effort to organise to get to be flown over some of these remote locations. how How much effort and work do you put into that and how much how much is, sort of planning versus shooting versus work, working through the process
1: well the planning is really important because um, uh, the majority of Australia is not worth photographing from there <laughs> let's be honest you know <laughs> there's, there's good certain, chunks of
0: it that are pretty boring
1: pretty yeah. boring so it's not like you can just go and I, and I learned that the hard way that you really do need to plan I went on one shoot and uh, it's a great learning experience because it's bloody expensive to do yeah. aerial photography, and you if you I don't make do too many
0: mistakes in what you choose to do,
1: yeah, if you choose to go a spot that's, I chose to go to a spot where I thought that there were geological formations, and it turned out that what I'd been viewing on Google Earth was actually vegetation, and in the air, the the differences between the vegetation were very negligible and I wasted a whole shoot like I I, the only photos that I got from that shoot that were any good were actually um there was a an area that had dried out that was muddy and there were animal tracks across it so for a whole whole entire aerial shoot that's all I came home with and I was just from you know that that was a really good Learning experience because you really do need to do your research and you need to understand the height that you're looking at. Because I, I use Google Earth to yep. scope out areas. Obviously, like Australia is so blessed with um, amazing aerial locations, and most of the best aerial locations have already been shot by somebody else.
0: Yeah, um, you so always get something unique. That's, uh, and I think that, That's the beauty of. Uh, some of those abstract you you can change uh, altitude by 100 feet and that same structure or same formation rock formation looks completely different the shadows are different the the light on it is, is going to be different at different times of the day and different times of the year as well
1: Absolutely. But truthfully, even with landscape photography, I don't mind photographing iconic locations because it's about the experience and I've never seen it before. And if I'm there and I'm getting to see it, well, that's new and exciting. And I don't give a crap if 10,000 other people have a similar Ah, photograph. I don't mind. (laughs) That's all right. You know. Someone so I might post that and people might go, oh, another shot of the Wanaka tree. But you know what? I love I loved that experience. I loved being there. You know, like for me it was new and exciting. I don't have like everybody else's photos that I carry around in my head. I don't care. Like I'm still gonna approach it the same way Absolutely. as if I'm discovering it, you know. But going back to aerial photography, it is helpful. If other people have photographed it first, and I would say that, you know, for people just starting out with aerial photography, do go where other people have taken photographs so that you don't waste a whole aerial shoot (laughs) um, photographing something that's um, very, very ordinary. Um, But yeah, so I plan using Google Earth. Uh, What I tend to do is figure out where the closest airstrip is, try and find out who services that airstrip. I'll then send a flight I'll email the flight company send a, a proposed flight path say i want to shoot for around this amount of time, usually it's about ninety minutes. Yep. Um, do you think we can cover this in that time if i you know these are the main points that I want to orbit and then we'll take it from there and usually you know most of the places if you say that you're uh, you've you know you you've done aerial photography before um, they're very happy to take the doors off. And they understand this is the key thing. They, the, the, they'll they give you a pilot who understands that they need to position the aircraft so that you can shoot straight down. Yeah. So most of my aerial photography isn't out and across. Like, you know, I'm not shooting yep. dunes that go on forever. No, or, not
0: not your airline windows. So
1: no, either. no, no. It's no. shooting straight down. So to shoot straight down, you need the aircraft to be, you know, yeah. as perpendicular as possible. So that's that's really the important thing is getting a pilot who who knows how to do that and understands that. Um but then once that's all sorted and we're on the runway and I get excited. <laughs> It's like all of that is gone because the pilot has the flight path and I'm just going to shoot what I like seeing. And if it means that we don't get to all the places that I've got on my little flight path, doesn't matter. The important thing is that I'm shooting stuff that's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that I love it.
0: So, if, is there much communication with the pilot during the, uh, yeah. during the shoot? And yes. how, does, yep. how does that work for you?
1: Um, so I'm not very technical, so I'll just say, can we go a bit higher? Can we go a bit lower? Can we go around that again? I didn't oh, get yeah. it. Um, you know, like it. it yeah, there's. Uh, usually, I'll fly between. Um, um uh, ten thousand. Is that right? Ten thousand feet.
0: Yeah, that's that's relatively low. It's uh, it's. Um. Well, about 10,000 feet is how much is that in metres? It's about 3,000 metres.
1: Yeah. So I'm um, numbers and me don't get along so well.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> and I just go blank. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's 10,000 to 15,000 feet that I usually fly. Okay. Um, But usually if you charter a helicopter, for example, they can fly as low as 500 metres. Yep. But the thing is, so the way that I set up my camera, I set it up with um, auto ISO sensitivity control. So I use aperture priority, I set my aperture, and then I set the parameters for the shutter speed and the ISO. Yep. And I shoot with... Fixed focal length lenses, manual focus lenses. And because they're not auto lenses, you can turn the focus ring until it doesn't go any further and it sticks on infinity. Yep. And so as long as I don't get too close to the ground, all my settings are taken care uh, of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool.
1: I literally don't even need to focus because I can just hold the focus ring as far as it'll go. And yeah. and because I'm no good at numbers and because I'm not very technical, that just works for me. And I, I just don't, I don't get blurry photos. So yeah. that's really handy. Um, but yeah, so in terms of talking to the pilot, yeah, it's nothing very technical. It's just, you know, can we... Go back around that or whatever. The things that are good to be aware of is with a helicopter you can go up and down really easily, but with a plane, Place they a actually lot. lose altitude as they go around. So you just have to keep that in mind. You know, you can't ask pilots to do what they can't physically do with their yeah, aircraft. Yeah. I made the mistake once. Uh, I was flying over Gudaraguda Shark Bay in Western Australia, and um, the pilot is a really cool young guy. And it was in a Cessna 20, no, 172. So I'm just shooting through the window. And um, (laughs) I made the mistake of telling him that I really wanted to fly in a helicopter, but there weren't any available. And so he gave me the most helicopter-like plane experience ever of my life. And, oh, my God, after 90 minutes, I was ready to puke. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. (laughs) <laughs> because he'd really he'd thrown the aircraft around so you know up on one side and then up on the other side and my poor stomach was like okay this is not great <laughs> but the photos were amazing because he really positioned the plane so that I could shoot straight down it was fantastic
0: yeah, that's amazing how would you define success in your photography
1: that's a hard one i would say that um i have achieved success because i I'm talking to you on a podcast. I'm in a gallery. Um, I kind of know what I'm doing with my camera, and people are purchasing prints from me and making their lives happy.
0: Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's talk a little bit about the gallery then. Uh, obviously, are you now completely full time? You're not working yep. in anything else other than. For no,
1: body? it's. And that to me is like every day I wake up and make that realisation and just go, oh, my God, how did that even happen? I'm one of the luckiest people on the planet, I reckon. And, and to share that with Matt has made it even more fantastic because, you know, starting a gallery, um, there's a lot of business decisions. And like I said, yep. you know, maths, technical stuff, that's not my forte. I'm, I'm much more of a just go with the moment kind of person. And teaming up with Matt, Wow, he's got a head for all that stuff, and yeah, I just—it's—it's been—it's almost a year. So we opened December eleventh last year. Right. Um. We we had talked about it a fair bit beforehand. I, the reason that I moved back to Bright from the Kimberley in twenty eighteen was actually because I wanted to open a gallery. Um. Matt was actually living in uh, Queensland and he was moving house and he looked at places to live and he actually considered Bright as a potential place to live Um, and he gave me a call years ago, this is ages ago, and said, how would you feel about another photographer living in the area? And I said to him, I have to be perfectly honest with you, I said, you can do whatever you want, just don't open a gallery. (laughs) 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 Because I just, you know, like a lot of people love coming to Bright to photograph. It's a small town, though, and there's really, you know, like you you really are cutting into each other's market a little bit if there's gallery, like two landscape galleries, for example. Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it's. I get it. You get you have your own style and your own di- differences, but if someone else opened a photography gallery in Bright before we did, I would feel that it wouldn't be the right thing to open another one. Yeah, and I just didn't want that to happen. I just I wanted to be the first. So um so yeah, it, we opened the gallery. We talked a lot about it. We'd done a lot of planning, and then this travel agency, because of COVID, um, came up. Just the premises, not the business we came in we had a look and we pretty much signed the lease yeah I'm because right. it was perfect it had big windows yep. you know people could view it from the outside we could leave the lights on overnight um and people could see what was inside and and it's yeah it's a dream come true truthfully like not many people get to say that their dreams come true in their oh, life
0: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I take take you back a little bit earlier than opening the gallery. Where did you make that lifestyle choice to say, okay, well, photography—that's what I want to do from now on.
1: So it was already when back in the when I was living in Broome and I was managing the library services for TAFE. It was already becoming a real stretch. So I had we I as I said, I had a really understanding boss, and she'd allowed me to reduce my hours so that. One year I was working a nine day fortnight, and then it was four days a week.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but it still was too much. I was exhausted all the time. Like you know, the market there is really busy, and mm. it was just it, it was just really hectic, and I was feeling very stretched, and and then um you know libraries everywhere are under a lot of pressure i don't i think people take a lot of what libraries do for granted and they just don't realize how much libraries contribute and how talented librarians are at doing so many different things and um the wa state government was cutting costs and my position was quite a well paid position mm-hmm. And our institute, our TAFE, made an announcement that they were seeking voluntary redundancies. And I, it didn't even cross my mind to put my hand up for it, but no. one of my staff sat me down for a breakfast one day and I thought we were just having a nice chat and she busted out with, Mika, you need to take this. And I was like, "What?" She said, "I know that you're not thinking about it because of staff." She said, "We will be fine. We have skills and qualifications. We there, but you, you need to do this." She said, "Photography yeah. is your future. This is the best opportunity for you." You ne-. and I was I was just blown away. Firstly, that someone would have enough of an interest in me and my future to to like that's a risk to you know that's yeah, huge. Um, so I was really honoured that she would. You know that she would like she she was a, probably my mum's age. You know someone who just had yeah, and I was just anyway. So I took it really to heart, and I really had a good think about it, um, and made the decision. I put my hand up. They accepted it. I got basically a year's um, pay because I'd been working there for five years, and so tw- at the end of 2017, I drove all the way from Broome down the coast across the Nullarbor. And I uh, came to Bright and took the whole of 2018 to take photos because at that stage my plan was to run workshops and I didn't want to be that kind of workshop leader who wanted to take their own photos. And I figured if I take a year and just take lots and lots of photos and have them in the bag, then I'll be a much better workshop leader and I'll just be able to support people the way because I'm a teacher, you know, so like I, I didn't want to be doing my own stuff. Um, so that was Great, so that was 2018 and then 2019 I was working on my business plan. Um, 2020 I launched the workshops, two weeks in, COVID hit. Wow. And nine workshops had to be cancelled yeah. and I was like, oh, my God, what do I do now? Like this was what I w- I'd been working towards. <laughs> and um, But fortunately for me, people got on Zoom and I ran all my workshops the same content that I would have for in-person workshops but and because I'm a teacher I had planned for, yeah, you know, PowerPoint presentations anyway learning um so yeah helpful. so I in the end I think it was over 40 zoom workshops during COVID which I've now made available as videos that people can di- can um access yeah. um but yeah and then I met Matt and then we opened the gallery that's pretty much how it all happened <laughs>
0: One one of the things a lot of photographers that are starting in, you know, the business side of things, whether they're doing it as a side hustle or whether they're doing it full time, is how do you work out how to price your work? My, You know, I'm not asking, you know, well, you set the price, it's $3,000 for a print this big and that sort of thing. What I'm sort of saying is... Yeah. How do you how do you actually do that calculation? And yeah. how much work have you put into into that thinking around how how pricing works?
1: Yeah, it's really really hard, and mm. there's no easy answers. And you know, there's there's people talk about rule of thumbs, and the, and that's really handy when you're first starting out. Um, you know, they say like whatever it costs you to produce, multiply it by three. But you know, the truth is like your experience and your, like that doesn't take into account any kind of difference in your talent basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the, the I think doing the market for a long time really helped. So when I first started doing the market, if I could make like $2, I was happy because it was just a hobby on the side. Um, you know, when I was in Broome, I was selling prints, big A3 plus prints at $35, $40. Um, now I'm like oh wow you know that that I I thought that was a really good price but the truth is is the time that you spend going to these places the petrol money the printing the inks the you know there's so many you add
0: it all up you start okay well this is actually not a great return on investment
1: no and and I guess it I don't, I'm never critical of people who underprice their work because the truth is most people don't know how to price their work. And, you know, some, I think some professional photographers can get a bit grumpy. Like I'm sure that there was a professional photographer in Broome who had a gallery. I'm sure he was dark on me for the prices that I had on my work. But the truth is I didn't know any better. And I would prefer, like, if I have to get up at 10 past 5 in the morning and I don't get home till 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I've spent the whole day talking to people, like, you know, blah, blah. it's hard work, I would prefer to sell lots of stuff yeah. during yeah. that day than sell a one, couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I priced things so that people could afford them.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, because that makes it a much more... Exciting day for me than standing there and people looking at your prices and going, Oh, I don't think I can quite afford that, you know. <laughs> but it's a really good question. And Matt and I spent a long time talking about the prices of our work, but also talking about editioning, whether we were going to do um, limited editions or open editions. Um, and I'm really glad that we both had enough experience and uh, knew enough about how it all worked to have meaningful conversation about it in the end we we actually get a lot of comments people say oh my gosh this is really affordable which is great we like that mm-hmm. um we wanted to make sure that opening in a small town we didn't put people offside and that was more yeah. important to us than becoming rich and famous um I don't think our work is cheap you know there's a lot of people who, who can't you can't afford what we've got but there's a lot more people who can yeah. and we try and have things at different price ranges so that anyone who comes in at least they can walk away with a card yeah you know um
0: and i think that's that's an important thing particularly if you if you're trying to open a gallery is to have that range of product it's not just okay well here's the big you know, mega acrylic print that's three meters wide and two meters high. You know, yeah. You you've got a you've got it yeah, you wanna sell them, sure. And yeah and premium price on those things. But yeah. you also want to be able to get that somebody that just wants to pay, you know, three or four dollars or ten dollars or whatever for a few cards and uh you know yeah, have, and have that we- image to take away with
1: them. I think we've got I mean we we're, we're constantly looking at it because actually the truth is prices are going up for everything prices are Absolutely. going up for the 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 paper the um the courier prices are going up we we have framed canvases the price of the the wood even the being able to source the the frames is is becoming more difficult mm. uh, our metal print supplier or all of you know, because there's so many people in the supply chain, you don't really realise it, but the end product is not just, like we do our uh, cotton rag printing up to a certain size. I do that, which so do, um, yeah. was a wonderful learning experience.
0: Yeah. Um, You've and, delved into the black arts of printing.
1: Oh, there's so much involved. There's. I'm so glad that I started a long time ago and made a lot of mistakes back then Um, so that now I'm... I'm totally across it because it is it's just it's a it's a whole you know learning it it's just as involved as learning Photoshop. Yeah. Learning how to print is a whole extra complete field in and of itself color profiling, color management, you know yeah, it's just yeah. So um yeah, so all of that is a factor, you know. All the pricing of of it's it's hard. I have no good advice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you you've given given some hints anyway, and some some ideas that people can sort of hang off and uh, and, and start looking at. But yeah. I, uh, Every everyone I ask, nobody's nobody's come out and said, "Oh well, here's the formula I use." And it's just like a a plus b equals c, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky, and I think it's the most tricky because art is so subjective, and what you Very think nice. about your work is not necessarily what anyone else.
0: Markets think. have different price ranges as well. I mean, you if you if you are in uh, Sydney and you know, you're you're trying to sell art, although well, the market there is going to be different to somewhere like Bright. Yeah, you know?
1: absolutely. The, and and I, the if volume I, of
0: people in itself is a factor. Yes. In, you know how much you may or may not be able to sell. You know.
1: Yeah, and the difference in price. You know, going back to Broom when I had my market stall, um, you know, it cost me i think five dollars in the off season and fifteen dollars in the in the you know to have my stall compare that to for example um well I don't want to name names but there's a, a well-established photographer in bright who has a, a storefront real estate in in, in sorry in broom real estate in broome is is incredibly expensive he's mm-hmm. got to make a living so that he can't sense. charge next to nothing for a print. You know, like all of those factors are, uh, yeah. It, <laughs> there's so many things to think about. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's not, it's not, a not simple just what right?
1: will, and it's not just what someone. What will someone pay for this? Matt is constantly saying, "Yeah, you're, Mika, you're not our target market <laughs> just because you won't pay this. That is that is completely irrelevant. Um, yeah. You know, it's."
0: Yeah. yeah, you've got to divorce yourself and your opinion of what what it's worth and what you would pay for it. Yeah. To what somebody else, you know, who who has no idea about all of the hidden costs that may be there yep. to, to to actually extract some some kind of value out of it, you know?
1: Yeah. And yeah, ultimately the,
0: the value is, you know, it might be a gift for somebody else, but the va- value of it is that it's gonna be sitting on someone's wall making them smile because they've got this beautiful image there
1: yeah and ultimately you're walking the line between wanting lots of people to have your work and appreciate it and also being able to make a living because you know we we want this to continue we don't we don't want to have to we've just extended the lease for another two years yay um you know but we've got to make that work and there are times of the year that people don't come to Bright. Like people think it's really busy in winter, for example, but actually what happens in winter is people are focused on skiing and they literally drive through Bright to yep. go up the mountain. Yeah, so,
0: they, they're, they're headed to Mount Buffalo and not... not well, Mount,
1: they're headed to Falls Creek and Mount Hotham and they've spent yeah. a lot of money on their lift tickets, their yep. resort entry fees, their accommodation, The because everything's up the mountain, the expenses for food are a lot higher. They they they're not interested in hanging out down here. Yeah, yeah. Whereas autumn, summertime, um, you know that that's busy for us.
0: Yeah, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about Brighton, your local area, and um, how that has changed, how and what you're shooting now from where you were. You know, I mean, you're obviously still occasionally going out and doing your your aerial stuff, but. Are you, has living in Bright changed what you're shooting and how you shoot in any way? Uh
1: really changed how i shoot i'm just very grateful like when i grew up here i didn't appreciate bright i thought it was boring as batshit we nicknamed it geriatricsville um (laughs) it has changed a lot bright has changed a lot since i was a kid so they put in a bike path where the railway line used to be Mm -hmm. and so now it's a very active town a lot of people come here for mountain biking paragliding um it's you know there's a lot on offer there's a lot of festivals now we just had the The Rod Run, which was, you know, amazing, all these. I'm I'm not a huge fan, to be perfectly honest, but it was crazy to see how many people came here with all their cars. Mm -hmm. Um, The Autumn Festival brings people from it. Like it's it's a really busy town. Yeah, yeah. But the beautiful thing about Bright is we are nestled in the valley between Mount Buffalo, which is an hour away, Mount Hotham, which is an hour away, and Falls Creek, which is an hour away. And they all have their own different personalities my favorite is mount buffalo because of what i talked about before because of that spirituality it's just a very intimate mountain yeah. um you can you can go there every day for a week and find new things to photograph um and next season it'll be completely different because when there's fog um and that's the one thing that i appreciate that i missed that I really missed when i was up in the kimberleys fog you know that atmosphere is just so special um, but yeah, Mount Mount Hotham has great views out over the valleys. Falls Creek has these amazing old cattlemen's huts. Um, so yeah, there's always more to, to more more to explore. And, you know, even having grown up here, last week, um actually it wasn't even last week, it was this week, I took a morning um before work and went to a waterfall that I've been to lots and lots of times, ladies' bath falls, yep. and walked up a little bit higher. And because of the epic volume of rain that we've had, there was another little cascade that usually isn't there.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And I photographed that. You know, that it's just it's a place that's got so much on offer. Mm. The only time that it's boring is basically January. <laughs> January, February, because it's blue skies.
0: Yeah. Right. But even
1: then, you'll get the occasional, you know, like the Kimberley is boring as anything for May, June, July, August, September, because it's the dry season and you don't see a cloud. Here, at least, there's none. There's none. Here, at least, like we do get an occasional storm come through or whatever, and you can go up and and take photos. Um, So, yeah, it's always changing. I love that.
0: Have you got one particular favorite spot? Is it? Mount Buffalo yep. that you, it just keeps calling you back. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. And I just feel like there's I have I, there's so much more that I haven't had a chance. Like I there's a walk all the way from the base of Mount Buffalo to the top it's called the Big Walk. I haven't done that since I was oh, probably about 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's you know there's just lots. I just feel like you can probably never see everything there. And yeah. even if you have seen everything there, the weather changes and it's new again.
0: Yeah, fantastic. What's your most memorable experience in photography?
1: Ooh. Oh, that's hard. There's a lot.
0: Mm, good.
1: <laughs> um, I'd have to say probably the... the the one that springs to mind the strongest was the first time i did an aerial shoot and that was actually on a workshop with christian fletcher it was at home valley station in the east kimberley and it was my first yeah he they'd organized as part of the workshop an aerial shoot and um i just like my background (laughs) when i was a kid i loved gymnastics and skiing and i i did Diving, like I actually did a diving camp. And then later on, I did surfboat rowing and I, um, I actually did bobsleigh for a while. And then the first time I went up in a helicopter, I, I had that same adrenaline rush, you know, that same, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, you know, you're just like, <laughs> um, and then flying out over the East Kimberley mudflats and seeing the tidal patterns of like they look like branches of trees. Um, yep. Just, it was just incredible. So that was really the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I can combine my love of abstract with this with photography, but also with the thrill, the excitement that I missed so much from sport. Um so that was a big moment for me. And probably the other well, there's two others um that I'll mention. Opening the gallery with Matt, that's huge. You know, I can that's imagine, just, yes massive, life-changing, and probably also winning the Pano Awards. So I was the I first first Aussie and first woman to ever win the, the Pano Awards, so that was epic, and that was just like I didn't believe it. Like the, the, the organiser, um, David Evans, he rang me, and um, and I was a bit naughty. I was driving along and, and I'd missed the call and I, I hit play and I had to pull over. I was shaking wow. so much. I, I, and I was like, can this be real? You know, like I had been entering that competition for so many years and just trying to get one better than the last year. Yep. So it was a very plodding kind of improvement process. And then when he rang, I was just like. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're, they're probably the big ones.
0: Uh, fantastic what about horror stories everyone has one um
1: hmm well I think everyone has those moments where like you get a drowned camera at the beach or um you slip over and smack your lens and you know all that kind of stuff but I don't I think that's just part of
0: oh definitely
1: I mean I could describe it and I could you know get all epic on you but um I think that's They pale in comparison to the the joy, you know, and you just have to, like as long as you're not too badly injured (laughs) and I've never been, I will tell one story and I think it goes, it's indicative of the whole Kimberley experience. I, I, it was quite early on, I was living in, Windham and I'd uh I'd come to Manning Gorge which is this absolutely huge cascading waterfall mm. and I'd gone there before sunrise um because I wanted to get a long exposure and I had my 10 stop filter and um anyway I I couldn't go too early because of the travel time and I wanted to get a different angle as I don't do this anymore, but I wanted something different to what I'd seen. And so I, w- I went off track. Yeah, And I knew this was a really special spiritual spot and I knew that I shouldn't be going off track and I did it anyway. And then I tried to climb up on, on a ledge and the weight of my backpack was too heavy and I fell backwards and winded myself. Ouch. And I actually went... I knew that I shouldn't be doing this, and this is my karma this is <laughs> this is this is you being told that you're being a shit okay. so don't
0: you you're doing things you shouldn't,
1: yeah, and I took it that way, so you know um that's not how it always is like I've done stupid stuff that's totally my fault and is not nature 's fault whatsoever but um <laughs> yeah, how about you what, have you I'm sure you've told your horror stories?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of times. Mostly, uh, usually it's being hit by a wave that uh, comes up and swamps the camera. And mm-hmm. I've uh, I've had the uh, Canon 6D Mark II now f- oh, for quite some years now. Uh, it's been in the shop twice and had its yeah. uh, innards.
1: Innards replaced.
0: Replaced. Yeah. Um, <laughs> simply because of corrosion and stuff. Yeah. Side.
1: Oh that's the killer isn't it? Yeah. The corro- like you it looks okay from the outside it doesn't work you send it in they show you a photo and it's just all eaten. There's
0: <laughs> not much uh, not not much um capability for it to transmit electric signals. Yeah.
1: no. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah that that's that's mostly what I've had. Luckily I haven't had any real uh physically dangerous things like you know falling over. I've Um, My my wife, actually, we were in in the UK the last trip there. Uh, I I thought she'd broken her neck. Um, We were walking back from a a waterfall that uh, we'd walked sort of two and a half hours into uh, the Lake District um, up the side of this mountain. And, uh, you know, I snapped away, did all of that. We were packing up. On our way home, and uh, my wife put a foot, uh, left foot down, um, and it was sort of like a, oh, quite a steep hill we were on with a quite a narrow track. Um, but she put a foot down, and obviously it just kept going down the hill, and so she went down head over heels and landed in this little. Uh, she dropped probably about five or six meters. Uh, but she dropped into this little sort of crevice thing in, in amongst these rocks next to the stream. Uh, and I was sort of trying to scramble down there as quick, I was behind her at the time and trying to scramble down there, screaming at her not to move. But she got up swearing, so I knew she was fine. Oh, but, yeah, uh, that, was, it, that, that actually, makes sense. Yeah, it's the well, heart go, doesn't I, it? I, I, yep. I, yeah, oh. I, I still have PTSD about it sometimes, but she she actually cracked a, a couple of ribs, so she wasn't completely uninjured. But um, yeah, she yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: you know, you you really need to be like I, I know it sounds really obvious, but you have to be so careful. Yep. Um, I was in the Sahara Desert in Morocco, and I was so excited to be in the in the Sahara Desert that I. Literally just lost track of where I was. Um, yeah. And the, the sun came up and it was just magic and I was taking photos and then the sun, you know, when the the, the golden light just ends and it's just yeah. ordinary light. Yeah.
0: Just daylight. Yeah. yeah,
1: and you just know it's time to go. And then I realised I have no idea what direction I'm supposed to go back in. And it was a real moment, that really sickening feeling, like I've just made a really bad mistake. And
0: by that time in the Sahara as well, the temps are starting to get. Yeah, into-
1: and and I really I was really worried that I was going to be that lady on the news, that you know the Aussie that died in in the desert because she didn't have enough water. Yeah. But fortunately for me, the night before it had rained a little, which is so unusual, and I there were areas where i could see my footprints and i just could follow my footprints back but it was a real reminder that yeah you you know you You you're not safe like you have to you have to be aware that nature is far more powerful than you and you've got to be aware yeah Yeah. speaking
0: of uh i i guess um strong forces and, and that have you ever hit a creative wall and if so, how did you deal with it?
1: That's a really interesting question. I don't feel like I've really hit a period of longer than a few days where I lose my creativity altogether. Yep. But I, social media for me is a really good litmus test of my mental place. Usually okay. I really enjoy looking at other people's photos and um, I, don't ha- I don't have a lot of free time so i don't tend to comment but i like a lot of people's photos um but if i ever go on and i see someone's photo and i feel jealous then i know i'm not in a good place mentally Yeah. yeah. and instantly i go okay what do i need to do to fix this and usually it's turning everything on like turn my phone on airplane mode so no one can contact me and so i can't go on and check anything Um, and and I just go and and do something to restore my, you know, fill up my my reservoirs, I guess, and even if it's just, um, you know, watching a movie or like something that takes me away from where I am right now um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, going out for a drive or something like that. Um, I mean, it happens to all of us for sure, but I, I have to acknowledge that I don't, the only times that I've ever really hit a big chunk, and I, it's probably only one, and that was because of completely external factors, like my family was going through some stuff and photography just wasn't a priority during that time. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, um, no, I think I'm just good at, I, I, maybe I'm sounding a bit arrogant, but I think I'm really good at reading when I'm in that heading for that space Um yeah. And and as I said, you know, social media, if I because usually I'm so supportive of everybody. And if I get that little stab of jealousy, if that green-eyed monster raises head, I'm like, okay, you're not in a good spot. You need to do something about this. Go
0: that, that's a really good litmus test. And I think it's it's a great skill to learn because it is a skill you can learn. I yeah. certainly learned it myself over time to recognize when the I, I guess the the, the the, the mental strain that you're putting yourself under because that's largely what it yeah. is. No, Nobody's forcing you to think a certain way. No. Recognising that it's you that's doing it and it's yeah. you that can actually change the way that you think about things. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're,
1: you're exactly right. And I think um, for me, you know, there are times when I, I feel like I need to process and the more I feel I need to process, the less I want to process. Yep. Um, and so i just let myself off the hook because yeah. i don't have deadlines that's the beauty of this whole thing i don't have deadlines and there are so many other things that i can do rather than processing um it's usually the processing that gives me the block i'm i anytime i'm happy to go and take photos like that that's always uh, you know fun but um yeah the processing can be a bit of a drag sometimes
0: fair enough <laughs> What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photography right now?
1: Can I flip that and say one of the beautiful things firstly? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think a lot of um, people, like I get comments about this, so I know that it's not just a couple of people who say this, but, you know, everyone thinks they're a photographer. I actually think it's wonderful that we can share that experience with so many other people and that we can talk. Yeah, I just think that's wonderful. So I'm going to say that out there first, but, yes, because there are so many people who are doing photography, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'll, pretty much everyone that you interview probably says the same thing, but it's that there are certain places that can't handle the volume of people. Yeah, yeah. And um, for, I am very open with places, like I will... Happily tell people everywhere that I photograph where I took photos, provided that I know that the infrastructure or the the, you know the paths or you know whatever can support the volume of people. If ever I'm cagey about where I photographed, it's either A because it's a specific photographic shoot that I did with one person that I promised that I wouldn't tell, or B, (laughs) it's because of this particular thing that I just I I I have concerns about the sensitivity of the place. And particularly up in the Kimberley, I got permission to go to certain places. Um, It's slightly different because it's not about the volume of people, but I got permission to go to places. And I know that a lot of people wouldn't take the time to find out who they needed to ask permission for. And a lot of the time, let's be honest, it's really difficult to get in touch with Indigenous people to get the right permissions um so there are certain places that I won't I I won't say exactly where it is simply because I know that that most people are not going to make the effort to get permission to go there um so yeah I think I think the beauty is that you know like so many so many of us now can afford to travel we have cameras it's amazing that that we we're rich by world standards if we have a camera we're rich you know like we're so lucky to be able to do this amazing thing um but yeah it comes with a price tag and the price tag is the environment and because i love the environment like that is of concern
0: definitely definitely what do you see the future of photography holds
1: Oh, this is an interesting one. So, if anyone um is, likes doing looking at YouTube stuff, Matt has a YouTube channel called Matt Matt Makes Photos. I think it is, okay. and he he's he's been deep diving into AI, which is really interesting. And I think for me, that's kind of solidified where I stand in in terms of photography. I think photography is just going to keep. Branching out, and you're going to be able to do more and more stuff, and that's very exciting, and all the rest of it. But I think people are become, they already are, really interested in whether this is real or whether this is um, something that's not. Yeah. And yeah. I think knowing where you where you sit on that spectrum and being honest about it is really important. And I think yeah, more and more people, is, I yeah, think it's crucial, yeah. And I'd, I'd, there's no there's no fear. I think about what, what you create and all the rest of it. I I think at the end of the day, it's your own personal honesty that, that people will care about. And, you know, like I actually really look forward to when I get old, because what I plan to do is a lot more creative Photoshop stuff because, you know, ultimately I love art. And if I can't go places anymore, I want to create places and I'm looking forward to that but that's not what I do now and the reason that I don't do it now is because I want people to know when they look at a photo that's by me that it's real and that it's nature and that you know the 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 beauty of it is is not created by me the beauty of it is created by nature
0: all right well we're probably nearing the end of our time together so I'm going to ask if you've got any other photographers that you think I should be talking to let me know who Who else to put on my list?
1: Well, I've got a few. So firstly, obviously, I think it'd be awesome to talk to Matt because (laughs) he's the other side of this equation. Um, And he does have his own, he's very different to me. So it certainly will not be a similar conversation. Uh, But his work is amazing. And what, what I really appreciate about his photography is he's got a design background. And so he notices stuff. I just don't and he's he's got a quirky eye that's really, you know, so yeah, I, I would definitely say have a chat with Matt. He's also had such an in, a wealth of experience in so many other genres. Um, so, he's yeah, he's got a very different background to me. Another photographer who does um, more creative photography, but I know she loves landscape photography and um, I've got some of her work lucky me um Kath Salia she's an amateur photographer um but she's her work is absolutely exquisite it's definitely professional level it's amazing mind-blowing stuff so I think uh having a chat to her I don't I don't know if she does stuff like this but with the question
0: I I I can but ask
1: you can but ask um Chris Saunders who on Instagram is 645 Imaging um he Oh, his aerials are just next level. Uh he 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 and he his he's um workflow is so different to mine. We actually went on a trip recently and I learned a lot more about how he approaches photography and you know, you kind of get lulled into the sense that a lot of people think just like you. And yep. we we actually approach things really differently, um, but he he yeah he's he is a very technical minded person, and he he's for him processing is is a big part of his photography and his work is just absolutely mind-blowingly exquisite. So definitely um, Chris Saunders. And on that same trip, I got to learn a bit more about Ricardo Jacuna, and okay. he he is a conceptual artist and just a beautiful person. And his work is just so thoughtful and polished and just really, yeah, exquisite work. Definitely him. Um, Tanya Malkin, who I have done a lot of shooting with, she was living in Kununurra when I was living in Broome. Her aerial work is amazing. She, you know, does a lot of uh, stitching so her work can be, you know, She's exhibited in China. She's yeah. She she her, so she's TM Art Photo on Instagram.
0: Okay.
1: And finally, I reckon you should interview Christian Fletcher if he'll say yes because he does a podcast. But he's usually on the interviewing side. He he's, oh,
0: I've I've listened to Christian for quite a few years now, and uh, he he and I had a, a, a bit of a um a, a conversation by email on a couple of things uh, before I started the podcast. Um but I did I did actually send him my uh Oh good. A, a, a request but yep. I haven't heard back from him. So.
1: I will b- bother him again because I'd love <laughs> to see the shoe on the other foot. Like he he was a huge inspiration for me when I first started out with photography. Um my first workshop was with Christian Fletcher, Tony Hewitt and Peter Eastway and I didn't know okay, who any of them were. <laughs> oh
0: wow. <laughs> <laughs> and all, all legends.
1: I, I know, and I was so embarrassed. Like I got them mixed up, and everything. It was so funny. Like I, I was, I was green as a grasshopper, and all the other photographers on this workshop were actually really good, and I was not. I was so. I actually showed up with my whole entire um, computer, like my desktop computer, the monitor, and the hard drive oh, wow. at Karajini National Park in the middle of nowhere because I couldn't get a hold of a laptop. So yeah, they, they remember me very well. But yeah, Christians. <laughs> Just he's just such a down to earth guy who's just been in the industry for so long and he's still got the passion and still excited about it. So yeah, yeah. so they're my recommendations. I know they are a lot, but um, yeah, there's oh, so great. many great photographers.
0: Uh, I, I I will never run out of people to talk to. I'll I'll get bored of doing the podcast and all the uh, associated bits and bobs that I do in the background that nobody sees before uh, before I run out of people to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, so I, don't, I don't see myself giving up for some time. I'm, uh, Good, I've been
1: enjoying is. your podcast, and and I've I've only scratched the surface. So, unfortunately, I only discovered your podcast after COVID, and before COVID, I was doing a lot of traveling, so I was listening to a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah. I haven't been doing much traveling lately. So, and I'm not someone who can listen and do at the same time.
0: Yeah, I, I struggle with that as well. Unless it's uh, unless it's processing, and I I know what my, I don't have to think about it, and I know what the workflow for that shot or set of shots is going to be, and I just go bang bang bang.
1: I'm like exactly numbers. the same as you. Whereas Matt, he can have like a an actual presentation going on on one screen, and yeah, and he's uh, I, I can't I can't I know I'm a very focused.
0: I, I I podcast when I'm driving, or if I'm mowing the lawn, or
1: yeah. Yeah, when you don't have to, when you can actually engage and listen and, yeah, anyway, yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) All right, it's been wonderful having a chat to you. I've got one more question and uh, it's probably the most important question that we've (laughs) got to get to the bottom of. Do you like pineapple on pizza?
1: (laughs) And I have a very disappointing answer. I really don't give a rat's. <laughs> if it's on, I'll eat it. If it's do not, I. I won't. Yeah. Like it doesn't bother me.
0: Neither <laughs> like, do I. That's that's why I ask it because I'm, I'm very <laughs> neutral on the, on the subject. If it's there, I'll eat it. If it's not there, I won't bother. You know. Yeah, I, mean, I have
1: to say, a burger with the lot, I'd prefer it without. Absolutely. But um, but yeah, pizza doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> no, I. It's got a pineapple. has got to be on a on a burger with the lot. But uh, yeah, I'm. I'm oh no, I'm it. the opposite. Yeah, the opposite. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I love my beetroot, egg, bacon, the whole lot, oh, but no, not pineapple. The pineapple
0: just adds that little. Sweetness. No, it's
1: overpowering. Uh, it's too much. Uh,
0: no, I can't agree <laughs> with you there, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you ever so much. It's been wonderful spending some time with you and getting to know you and your work a little bit better and how you do what you do. Where can people find your work? other than the gallery in Bright.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Definitely come to the gallery because it's nice to have a chat. On socials, um, we've got the two accounts. The gallery one is Alpine Light Photography, both on Instagram and Facebook. And my personal account is Mika Boynton Photography on both Instagram and Facebook.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much.
1: No problem. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure, Grant. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.